0: the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Hey, everybody! Welcome to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Mike Rosenbaum. And uh, guys, uh, last week we had just put out the updated top 100 prospects list and all the new team top 30 prospect lists. Those are out there. Um, for for all of you to devour um and i I know jim last week we talked about this uh quite a bit but um just quickly to touch on this um this year a little different than than past years uh, as is the case with just about everything um but these lists have the addition of 2020 draft picks And really, that's about it. We didn't have nearly as many players graduate uh, from the list because there had not been nearly as many games played as uh, there normally would have been at this point. Um, But, uh, Mike, maybe maybe you want to talk a little bit about your team lists um, and and any sort of uh, general takeaways that you had. But, Jim, I know – you can probably speak to this as well as anyone, the, the difference in this year's mid season re-rank and, and previous seasons.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's weird. Cause usually it takes us the better part of a month to, you know, it, it's, I think it's more involved in the off season where it's basically not starting from scratch, but in some ways it is mid season. We, we update a lot of guys rather than totally rewrite all the reports, but, but yeah, I mean, it's in a normal year, you have guys graduate to the big leagues, you have guys get hurt, you have guys get better, you have guys get worse, and you you move guys all around. And we just felt that, you know, spring training, I don't think you can read too much into that anyway. Three weeks of spring training games, whatever you can glean from summer camp or alternative camp Twitter, and a couple weeks of of big league games just wasn't enough of a sample size to, to really change you know, to to say guys had made significant changes or gotten better or worse. So, I mean, all we really did this time around and it it felt very odd was we inserted draft guys or obviously fewer draftees than normal. Not that we usually have players drafted after the fifth round, make the top 30 immediately anyway. But, um, you know, we inserted the draftees and we, you know, if you inserted four draftees onto a team list, then you knocked off four guys from the bottom of the list. I mean, I know, Jonathan and I talked about this and I think Mike you did the same thing. There were a couple teams where we would have knocked off a guy who, you know, we looked like he was going to be in the big leagues or was in the big leagues that we didn't want to knock off. So there might have been a couple teams where maybe I'd knocked off four guys, but I kept the guy who was number twenty eight on the bottom of the list and knocked off number twenty six instead. But that was as <laughs> that that was as intricate as it got this time around.
3: Yeah, I, I was going to say that was that was the extent of, of my changes. With my team list was, you know, maybe with a few teams keeping a guy who should have been bumped on at the end. Um, but but also one thing I feel like it, it's worth pointing out is n- not only are we uh, not shifting any guys around or really doing a true re-rank and just adding draft picks, but we didn't have an international class this year, too. So there were no international guys to add. So it was really just, you know, adding draft picks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess with that push back to January, <laughs> when we get to January, we may be adding international guys, you know, a smattering of them. The, the mid-off-season re-rank. Yeah, it was just it was just very, very weird. It's like these are frozen in time, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I've thought about, like, what happens? I mean, I, I think the, the dream for teams and for those of us who cover prospects is that we have some kind of expanded – you know, fall league situation, maybe one team per organization, because there's a lot of players who need innings and at bats. But if that doesn't happen, what do we do in the off season? Are we going to re-rank these guys again, based on what? I I don't know. So
1: for those of you who may not know about uh, how this process works in terms of the ranking of the prospects, the teams, uh, Jim and Mike and then Jonathan Mayo each are the primary owners of 10 teams they split the 30 teams up among the three of them and uh redraft occasionally um so so as to keep the lists uh, fresh for them um but guys i was i was kind of wondering jim i know we've we've talked a bit about how several of your teams most of your teams are um in the lower third i i think of uh, or the lower half anyway of the farm system rankings um Mike, you've got, I think, some of the more exciting prospect teams. I was just wondering, for both of you, is there a particular team for you right now that that you have the most fun or you you enjoy dealing with the most in terms of ranking their prospects, whether it's because of the prospects they have or who you uh, deal with when you're in the process of ranking them?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think – even, you know, it's funny because I think I might have six of the 10 lowest ranked farm systems when we last time we ranked them. And a few years ago, I had six of the top 10. And I mean, these things do run in cycles. And a lot of times when you have a great farm system, then your big league team becomes good and guys graduate, And then you contend, then you trade prospects to get veterans and you draft lower and, and your rankings play out. But um, even some of my systems that have fallen on hard times, I, I I mean, I enjoy talking to the people. It's always interesting finding out about prospects or if you have a system that's not real deep, hey, how am I going to get to 30 guys and finding about new guys? But I'd say the one that I might enjoy doing the most of my 10 teams right now is also my best, Coincidentally, but it's, it's it's the Dodgers. And they're kind of the exception to the rule I was just saying, where they they win handily at the big league level and keep developing prospects and not just turning first-round picks into studs, but turning – you know, 32nd rounders like Zach McKinstry and Brett DeGus into prospect. So to me, it's, it's interesting, but also tough because I have about 45 Dodgers I would like to rank. Um, and even as they keep graduating guys to the big leagues, they just graduated Dustin May. I think Edwin Rios is going to graduate off the list. At some point, Gavin Lux will graduate. Dennis Santana will graduate. I mean, they're, they're still graduating guys, even in the shortened season. Um, I know I don't have any shortage of play. You know, it's more like, geez, there's there's guys I really want to get on this list that I can't. So I'd say, right now, the Dodgers are probably the most fun organization I, I have to to put their top thirty together.
3: For me, that's the Rays, um, and you know that that's a farm system that's always loaded. And as Jim was saying with the Dodgers, you know, you're uh, figuring out who's going to get the number twenty-eight, number twenty-nine, number thirty slots is you know, a lot harder than it may seem uh, because there are so many names and, and guys you want to get on there, but you just can't. Um, and, and obviously working with that organization, they, they really know how to develop players and they've got a really diverse like, group of prospects. They've got like the high ceiling guys, they've got high probably high probability, big leaguers. Um, and it's just fun to stack those guys up and, and hear the organization as well as scouts opinions on them. And I also want to say that the brewers, which what they were our number 30 farm system heading into the season. Uh, you know, that being said, like, that's also an organization I really enjoy doing the rankings for and and working with for the same reason as the Rays, you know, like, because that list doesn't feature as many top prospects or, or big names, you end up doing a lot of digging, um, during the off season, during, during our initial ranking process. And, you know, by the time you get around to it, you've got a list of 50 names. So when you go into the season, you've got a really nice list of, you know, watching, watch, um basically a follow list for the season and guys to keep tabs on and check in on as as things play out. Of course, that's not happening this season. So, uh, you know, right back to, right back to where we started with that conversation.
1: For you to uh, quickly identify the Rays as being your favorite team uh, that you have primary ownership of is, is I think saying something, considering the fact that you have a few of the more, exciting teams as well in terms of prospects and, and uh, farm systems that are either on their way up or have been solidly among the top five for a while in the Padres and the Tigers and mm-hmm. uh, Royals. I think all I was going to uh, say the,
3: the Royals are a close contender with the, uh, with the Rays for me. That's a really exciting organization. And, and the same idea you've got guys, you're hearing about new guys all the time, um, especially from their, their most recent drafts. You know, you're getting a lot of mid round guys who are emerging as, as, um, you know, pretty notable prospects. Like like it killed me during our re-rank here by adding the draft picks. Tyler Zuber was forced. You know, he's a great success story. Bullpen piece, made the team out of spring training this year. And, you know, he, he's not a big name prospect, but he, he's somebody I've in, enjoyed uh, writing up and following and, and keeping tabs on as, as he's, you know, ascended through the minors and now pitching in the Royals bullpen. So
1: speaking of guys who have ascended to the big leagues um let's talk about some of the hottest rookies in the big leagues right now and uh we'll start with a guy who um is on one of your teams mike and um jim you you put together this week's story where you ranked the 10 hottest rookies um just over the course of the past week so uh Last week, we looked at, um, we did like a a rookie power ranking where we ranked rookies based on what they've done so far in the season. And we'll do that again next week. We'll look at the sort of cumulative um, impact that rookies have had. Um, But every other week, we're going to look at just uh, the previous week's performance. And that's what we did this week. And the player at the top of that list is Jake Cronenworth, who I think is extremely interesting for several levels, uh, on several levels. This is a guy who quite literally can do everything. I mean, he's, he's listed as a two way player. Um, so a hitter and a pitcher has not pitched the big leagues yet, but, um, pitched last year at triple a in, in a pretty small sample size was very impressive, but, um, was a two way player, um, as an amateur and plays all over the field. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, how they're going to continue to get this guy at bats. I mean, it looks like I don't know, Jim, is this is this a time where he overtakes uh, former number one overall prospect Jerkson Profar? Um, He got some some games at first base when Hosmer was out. Um, He's listed on their depth chart at first base, second base, shortstop, third base. Um, What can you tell us about Cronenworth?
2: Yeah, I mean I, I think he could I mean, with the Padres off to a good start and more teams are obviously gonna make the playoffs this year and they're, you know, in it to win it this year, you know, jerks and pro far if he doesn't hit and Cronenworth keeps playing well, then I, I think Cronenworth is gonna take that job and you know, he he's interested to me. He, we actually had him on our our draft list back in, in two thousand fifteen when he was at Michigan and we it's funny is I liked him more as a pitcher. Um he was a, a closer and an everyday player at multiple infield positions for Michigan, just like he has been for the Potters this year, um, went between the bullpen and rotation. Uh, you know, changing roles, playing both ways, kind of took toll and stuff. But I had guys who thought he had the best splitter in the draft, with a lot of tumble. Um, he was—he's well, not—he wasn't throwing as hard as he does now. You can get his fastball up into the mid nineties, um, but he fascinated me, so I thought he was going to be a pitcher. Um, and we even noted when you talk about him doing all—he was part of USA Hockey's national team identification program in high school before he decided to focus on baseball. So he was a pretty good hockey player, but the Rays actually did the exact opposite of what I thought would happen when they drafted him and they made him an everyday player and he hit right off the bat um, and worked his way up. Then they began pitching him a little bit last year. And, uh, you know, I, I to me, you know, we talked about two-way guys several times on the podcast. I just don't think, we, I don't think it's realistic to have a guy be a two-way player and be in the rotation and be an everyday player, a la Shohei Otani, who's gotten hurt a couple times already, or Brendan McKay, who, who's who been much more advanced as a pitcher. And I think, to me, the guys who are the two-way guys are your guys who are kind of your utility men with strong arms who aren't necessarily going to be in the lineup every day or the rotation, a la Cronenworth. Um, and it looked like that's how the Rays were developing him. I mean, he had a great year last year in A, 950 ops uh, at, at Durham. Um, and in fact, I think he, honestly, I think he led minor league shortstops in, in on-base percentage, which kept Gavin Lux from leading minor league shortstops in all three slash stats for the second year in a row. But anyway, when he got traded this offseason to the, to the Padres, he was kind of the fourth player in the deal, wasn't he? I mean, it was him and Tommy Pham for Hunter Renfro and Xavier Edwards. Um, and again, I think the Padres were kind of looking at him probably, hey, he's versatile. We, you know, he can, he can pitch a little bit. He can fill a number of roles. And then Eric Hosmer got sick and he played great defensively he hit and Jerks and Profar's been off to a, a terrible start and so Cronenworth, you know maybe raising his pro profile I, I, look i i don't think the 821 slugging percentage in his first 28 big league at bats i'll take the under on that i don't think that's going to hold up but if he continues to hit i mean he's hit the ball a lot better than Jerks and Profar has this year um and he may he may get a chance to be that everyday second baseman i
3: also just want to say that i feel like um Cronenworth is like the most raised player that the rays have traded in recent memory you know just with 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 the versatility and and the bat the plate discipline um but no he can he can really hit he made a great play at second base last night too that was the first time i saw him play there um he's uh i was just digging into some some research on him before and 10 of his 27 batted balls have had an uh um 100 plus mile per hour exit velo he's got a um 90 plus average exit velo, which is, you know, in the top 60 in baseball. So the guy's hitting the ball hard. I, I think that's for real. Um, well the numbers come down like, yeah, that, that's more than likely going to happen because we're talking about such a small sample size. But, uh, you know, I, I think the Padres saw a guy who's they, they thought was probably undervalued in Tampa Bay system and, and saw a place from at the big leagues this year. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he grinds, he's, he's just a hard ball player. And, and, um, I'm not really surprised he's made the most of the opportunities so far. I'm excited to see him pitch, man. I hope he gets on the mound sometime because he actually has some pretty dang good stuff.
2: Yeah, and when you talk about him being a grinder, that's why area scouts loved him back in 2015 because it's not easy. Playing multiple positions and bouncing between the bullpen and the rotation and performing well on both ends. I mean, that's an awful lot to ask of a guy and his mentality at Michigan was basically whatever they asked him to do, he did it. And if that description changed from one week to the next, he, he just kept producing. So people have, have loved his makeup, up and his mentality for years.
3: And the race finally got him to start being more aggressive in the zone last year. And, you know, he started to see him drive the ball more. I think he posted like career highs in just about every, uh offensive category or, or power category and um you know he's he's doing that in the big leagues right now. And
1: this is a case where you know for the Padres it's just an embarrassment of Riches. Um he's ranked what number nineteen on their top thirty prospects list? Yeah
3: after the re rank, yeah.
2: Nice job, Mike. Come on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all let's blame AJ here. We're I'm blaming AJ.
2: Casimel's fault for sure.
3: Yeah definitely always
2: not Preller. Are you blaming Preller
3: or Oh my god uh
2: one oh well, yeah, that's right. Which, which, a, which AJ I'm, are
3: you? I'm blaming your son, Jim, obviously.
1: Oh, a third AJ into the mix. <laughs> An embarrassment of AJ's. <laughs> is
3: that the, is that the name for this episode? The podcast episode? Will of it AJ's.
2: It I will rank the AJ's later.
1: <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, his, I, you know, I guess his, his carrying tool, his, his highest graded tool as a, on the offensive side is his arm. Um, yeah. You know, 50, so, you know, I, I get think it makes sense that he's kind of middle of the pack as far as Padres prospects go. They have so many um, top 100 prospects and elite level prospects. Um, but he's shown uh, we haven't graded uh, with a 55 run, but he's, he's shown some uh, good wheels as well. Right, Mike, you've found that in your stat cast research.
3: Uh, yeah, his uh, he's in the ninety fifth percentile among big leaguers in sprint speed. Um, I, I don't know what his top one is, but he's his average is twenty four point seven. Uh, and he's got on his two triples, that's like two of the fastest home to third times this year. Like both in like the eleven and a half second range. So like he can he can burn. He's just a a really good athlete. Um, who you know he really can do as Jim was saying, like he can do whatever you ask of him. You know, and and I think he's a guy so far who's uh, opened eyes because he's impressed in a lot of different and at times unexpected ways.
1: This sounds like one of those guys who can just do absolutely everything, you know, on the baseball diamond off. Uh, Jim, you mentioned his hockey prowess. It, it almost reminds me of like the stories you would hear about John L. Way, how he would like, you know, go play tennis with tennis players on the Stanford tennis team. And, you know, had never played tennis competitively and could hold his own or, you know, it's like a, a dominant ping pong player, or whatever. I, I wouldn't be surprised to hear uh, similar tales of, of Cronenworth. I, I don't know how his like
3: his high school sports exploits of just you know yeah or he can absurd feats. Yeah, step yeah.
1: out on the step out on the golf course and shoot a seventy or
3: Brandon Inge like
1: oh was, is, Remember, is that he,
3: he he could like hit the he could hit a golf ball like four hundred yards. He could dunk. He could uh, obviously you know he was like. Third baseman, catcher. So, like, yeah, it's kind of, uh, kind of reminds me of him in a way. Now that you mentioned this, so uh,
1: looking at uh, so Cronenworth was at the the top of our list of hottest rookies of the week. Um, that list included a handful of guys who are not uh, elite level prospects, um, but it also included a, a couple of guys who are in Dustin May and Jesus Lazardo, and guys both of both of these guys um, have come out early on and have lived up to the hype and and impressed uh, right off the bat.
2: Yeah, it was it was I mean again we were trying to mix it up so we, we weren't spotlighting, you know, the future rookie of the year winners necessarily but <laughs> I was looking at it only I think three of the top ten hottest rookies actually ranked on the upper half of their team's top thirty, which is kind of odd <laughs> that it was it would turn out that way, but the you know Dustin may and Jesus Lozardo were the two top one hundred guys, although Dustin may has, has graduated off the list um he still qualifies as a rookie for the season, obviously, and you know it did you know, Dustin may pitched again last night after we wrote wrote the article and actually uh was first time the Dodgers had lost one of his starts this year but you know, Jason, I think you had mentioned to us when we redid the list and we made the decision not to move guys, <laughs> and Dustin May was off to – he had already made a couple good starts. You are talking about how – I think you made the comment, it looked kind of odd to see him behind guys like Michael Kopech, who's not pitching, and Forrest Whitley who's currently sidelined with an arm ailment An alternative camp. and I mean, Dustin May might have his, – his stuff might be as fun as anybody's in the big leagues. I mean, Manny Machado would disagree with that, but, I mean, he's throwing like 98-mile-an-hour wiffle balls that, you know – break like from the middle of the plate almost take out Manny Machado's knees while he's swinging at the pitch and you know he's got a a slider cutter I mean he just you know again I mean I I mean, kudos to the Dodgers I mean great draft pick they got him in the third round you know paid him over slot in the third round he was kind of a third to fifth round guy who had high spin rates and I mean you can believe it watching his his stuff He, he can't throw the ball straight he throws about the hardest liveliest two seamer you'll ever see and yet he throws strikes like I, I like, like I don't know if we, we there's a stat that measures, uh, you know, strike throwing ability, combination of strike throwing ability and life on pitches. But I bet his his strike slash life combo is one of the best in baseball. And they've they not only did they develop him well, they developed him quickly. He was on their playoff roster last year, three years after getting drafted out of high school. And, um, you know, just what the Dodgers needed. I mean, here's another starting pitcher you know weapon to go with Kershaw and Bueller and you know it's been kind of fun to watch Julio Urias you know who was once one of the best pitching prospects in baseball is healthy and starting again and Ross Stripling's always effective I mean how, how many starting pitchers do these guys need I mean I think Tony Gonsolin who can't even crack their active roster right now would be a starter for a lot of teams you know Alex Wood was an all-star recently and he's injured it's just crazy um, you know getting back to what I was saying before how they keep developing guys who, you know, weren't necessarily, Hey, this is a first round pick. I mean, there was a lot of development involved with Dustin May and they just did a great job with him.
1: And then, uh, the other guy on the list, Jesus Lazardo, um, has, has looked good as well. He, he pitched out of the bullpen, his first couple of outings and has started, uh, made a couple of strong starts now. And, um, Mike, you know you um, have uh, been on Lazardo for a while. What do you, uh, what have you seen out of him so far?
3: I mean, for for a smaller left-handed guy, like the ball just absolutely explodes out of his hand, and like not even that. It's just everything looks the same. Like what he's he's got the the, I mean, I guess fastball sinker like ninety. 798 I know he's been dialing it up even higher a little bit um the slider and the change up I mean he's, he's releasing everything from the same slot and similar to May. like I don't know how guys are going to square him up uh really at all and it's I think you're going to see an uptick in strikeouts with him is as his feel in the big league improves and you know he doesn't have any trouble missing bats already but um I I think those two guys have just been crazy impressive and and anytime they're pitching I'm trying to tune in to see because it's uh you know, it, it's, it's pitching ninja porn basically every time you could just check his feet. And it's just like, wow, that is uh that is stuff. That is, that is what in baseball you call stuff.
1: So I wanted to go over the, uh, that list of the hottest rookies of the week in total here real quick. Jake Cronworth uh, was at the top of the list followed by Philip Evans, who had a great week. And then unfortunately had a season uh, come to an end. Um, when he sustained a concussion and a collision with Gregory Polanco. Number three on the list, Randy Dobnak, uh, the Twins right hander who came out of absolutely nowhere from Indie Ball in 2017 to uh, where he is now, starting a <laughs> postseason game two years after being in Indie Ball. Uh, number four, Rockies right hander Ryan Castellani followed by Dustin May and Jesus Lazardo, and then Anthony Kay, uh, Blue Jays lefty, uh, D-backs infielder Andy Young, White Sox right-handed pitcher Matt Foster, and Rangers right-hander Jonathan Hernandez. Um, I want to talk about a couple other guys who have made their debuts recently, a couple top 100 prospects. But before we do move on to that next topic, here's a word from our sponsor
4: Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB.
1: All right, guys. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of uh, elite right-handed pitching prospects who have made their big league debuts recently. Uh, I don't think those debuts uh, went the way that either of them would have hoped, but uh, certainly that doesn't do much to damper the high expectations that we have for these guys Um, and Padres Luis Patino and Philly's Spencer Howard. Um, Before we get into talking about these two guys individually. So they are the seventh and eighth ranked right-handed pitchers in our among the baseball's top 10 right-handed pitching prospects overall. Uh, Patino, just 20 years old. Um, Spencer Howard, somehow 24 years old, which kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize uh, that he was that old until uh, there were rumblings of him getting called up. But I want to drop this one on you guys. If you had to take one of these two players, one of these two pitchers long-term, who
3: are you taking?
2: i take Patino.
3: Yeah, me too. I mean, I guess. It's not a cop-out because Jim said it, I promise.
1: I guess that makes sense considering uh, Patino is ranked uh, eight spots ahead of Howard on the top 100. But you guys, uh, you know, this is a a list that the three of you put together with a lot of input from a lot of people. And so I know you can each have your own individual opinions. But um, how much does the age come into play with that?
2: Um. I don't think it's the age so much for me to be honest. Um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite scouts always talks about how they don't check IDs on the mound. Um, like if you can pitch, you can pitch and who cares how old you are. I don't think it's that. I just, I just like his, I just like, I mean, it's weird. Cause it's like, they both have stuff. They both throw strikes, even though Spencer Howard's older, I don't think his track record of being a top prospect is really that much longer than Patino's. Um, So it's not really an age thing. I just I've seen them both pitch. I've seen them both look really, really good. It's like I want to say the Patino stuff is maybe slightly more electric for me, but like I don't even know if that's the case. They're both very, very similar. I just it's more of a gut feel thing because I don't really think there's a whole lot to differentiate between the two of them, to be honest.
3: I mean, I guess it really comes down to how much of a reliever risk do you see in Patino because his size, you know, he has, um, had, you know, it, it, he's a strike thrower, but the command needs to improve. And I think that's been exposed a little bit early in the big leagues. So, you know, you could also make case of coming out of the bullpen as a 20 year old, he's got some adrenaline and, uh, you know, he's throwing hard. He's at a hundred miles per hour. He's got a absolutely nasty slider. Um, but, but for me, it's just, I, I think there's more upside to unlock with Patino compared to Howard. Whereas, but, but that said, like Howard is definitely the more, polished of the two now and and the more big league ready even though both guys are in the big leagues
2: and patina's athletic enough i'm not so yeah, much for sure. worried about that and, you know the, the the crazy thing is is even though he's he's four years younger he's actually pitched more professional innings than spencer howard has too so um yeah i mean it's I, I I just I don't even know how to how to say it because like again I mean they both have electric stuff they both throw strikes you know Howard's present control and command is probably a little bit better than Patino's, but um I don't think you could go wrong with either one of those I I, I just would take Patino if I had my choice between the two.
1: So Petino has had a couple of outings now. Um, like I said, the the debut for each of these guys certainly didn't go as as they had hoped, but. Coutinho pitching out of the bullpen so far. Um, first outing, a couple of innings, three hits, three earned runs, a home run, a couple strikeouts. Second outing, an inning in two thirds, uh, another home run allowed. But, Mike, you touched on this uh, four walks, three strikeouts. I don't know how much you've been able to actually uh, see him pitch, if at all, in these couple, couple games, but. Um, you prepared us for what to expect from patino um, when he was getting called up um, have you seen anything from him in these first couple outings that you did not expect
3: so immediately i didn't see his second outing the one in which he walked four guys but did see his debut um and those three runs in home run it was a three run home run you know so that's uh that that changes his line pretty quickly, but otherwise, you know, it just looks like a, it looks like a 20 year old kid who's amped up on the big league mound for the first time. Um, and, and, you know, I, I guess you could say he's overthrowing, but, uh, he throws really hard naturally. So it's kind of hard to say that conclusively. Um, but I, I, there's nothing that really stands out other than, you know, he's had some trouble repeating his mechanics. He's been amped up. Uh, he's been letting the ball fly a little bit. Um, but in terms of like the sheer quality of the stuff, I mean, it's, it's been nasty. It's been as advertised. And I think as he gets more reps under his belt here, especially if they keep him in a bullpen role, um, you're going to, you're going to see the overall performance start to improve the control and command start to improve uh, because, you know, as I said, the stuff is certainly is not an issue with him.
1: How, uh, how much of a a learning curve do you think it is when you're 20 years old. You've done nothing but start. He's only had two relief outings in the, in the minors ever.
3: Uh, in, the, in the Futures game, right? He came out of the bullpen in that Futures game? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, I mean, general, generally speaking, strictly a starter. How, how difficult is that to, uh, you know, the first time you're facing major league hitters to be doing it in a, in a different role?
3: I mean, I'm sure he would tell you that there was no difference that like, you know, it's on him that he just needs to be better, but like there is a difference there's in terms of preparation, you're not going through a starter's routine, um, in the bullpen warming up, you're coming into potentially uh, a high leverage situation or, or, um, you know, a situation where you're almost encouraged to air it out, you know, and, and really cut it loose, which I think speaks to some of the control issues we've seen so far, um, but I mean, it, I think there is an adjustment period, and, I, and that's what I was saying before. That I think, as he gets more outings and reps under his belt, um, especially if he faces some different teams, that we're going to see the the results are going to be there. Um, and and you know, I could see him what eventually being their eighth inning guy, maybe seventh, eighth inning guy. I don't know. They've got some good arms in that bullpen.
2: Well, there's even been some talk that he might like. I mean, everything's so fluid this year. You know, with the virus, with with pitching is kind of in shambles for for several teams that they have a rotation opening i think coming up
3: yeah i, I know he's, he's in the mix for that or, or... he's in
2: the mix for that mm-hmm. you know potentially because joey lucchese has really struggled but i was also going to say even aside from just starter reliever it, it, you see it happen all the time with guys getting to the big leagues overthrowing trying to do too much you know more so, you know, even more so with younger guys, which Patino is. And, and I'd throw on top of it, too. I mean, this year's an atypical year. It's not like Luis Patino was dealing in AAA. He was hanging out at alternative camp, doing whatever you do in alternative camp. Like, you don't, you know, you can, you know, pitch live bullpens and live BPs, but it's not like you're pitching games and, and getting the same kind of feedback. Hey, this is working. This isn't type of thing, um, even though you try to simulate as best you can. So, I mean, you, you can make a case that this is probably the, you know even harder just for for guys in general to make the transition from the minors to the majors in this environment
1: all right so let's talk a little bit about spencer howard uh made his debut a couple of days ago against the braves um, a tough chore to begin with there with that braves lineup uh, four and two-thirds seven hits four earned runs a couple of home runs a walk and four strikeouts um Jim, you mentioned the fact that he's thrown fewer innings um, than 20-year-old Luis Patino. Uh, he's thrown, what, 211 minor league innings?
2: Yep, yep.
1: What's uh, what's led to that? Is that, uh, looking back over his... Well,
2: yeah, you know, he's drafted in 17, so he he began his career uh you know, then you know, he pitched a little bit that summer. Um, you know, typical kind of debut. Um, had a normal year in 2018, then he had shoulder issues that cost him about a third of the last season. So that's what kept his innings down. And and then obviously there's no twenty twenty. So even though he's in the midst of his fourth professional season and I guess we call we call this his third full pro season, um he was sidelined for about a third of one season and half of the other by the coronavirus this year. So, um, you know, I mean, he started, I mean, I think there was some, some good and some bad. I mean, yeah, he took the loss. He gave up two run homers. He made mistakes to to Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna and those won't be the only time those guys hit home run. I, I guess it, maybe it was um, a solo shot off of uh, by Acuna, but I mean, he made mistakes to those guys um, You know, at, at times he looked good. He, he struck out four guys. He, he threw about two thirds of his pitches for strikes. Um, So that, you know, th- that was good. Um, He got, I think, 10 swings and misses in the game. That was promising. You know, I, I know Mike's going to talk about his the, the stat cast numbers on his curveball were kind of crazy. And, and that was interesting. But I mean, you, you saw the stuff again. He might have been a little amped up for his first start and didn't locate it as well as he could. But I mean, you know, for again, this is a team that, that was hoping to contend last year and kind of fell apart. They're hoping to contend uh, this year. They're off to kind of a slow start. They've been sidelined by the Marlins' coronavirus woes, and they haven't played a full complement of games. But in terms of stuff, he, he's he's one of their best starters. Um, I would think, you know, we'll see. You know, I don't know if that the fifth spot in the rotation is his lockdown for now. But, you know, based on the fall league last year, And know Mike, you were in the fall league too. I I thought he he was. I thought he brought the most consistent stuff, night in, night out, best stuff of any starter in the league. He had one of the better changeups in the league. I don't think he threw a lot of changeups against the 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 Braves. I I saw him climbing to the upper nineties at at times, but I mean, the the stuff's there, Um, and I think he's clearly one of the Phillies' five best starters at this point.
3: Yeah, I agree, and, and a couple things to point out, like going going a, a little bit of a deeper dive into his numbers from that first outing. Um, yes, he gave up two home runs and in, and uh, in seven hits. You said seven hits. Um, yeah, but none of them were barrels. You know, that was I think that that's important. So I, I know like Freeman's had like a exit velocity like in the low 90s. Um, I I don't can't speak to Acuna's, but uh, um, but between that, the not giving up a barrel and the fact that he didn't generate any swing and miss any swings and misses with his uh 42 fastballs that he threw in the outing kind of just speaks of it was, it was almost like an anomaly outing for him I, I don't know exactly what to make of that but the secondary pitches were all very good um and if you you know th- consider how the fastball can improve you know he's, he's not going to get zero whiffs with this fastball every time um guys aren't going to bat 455 against it every start th- there's obvious room for improvement there and and you could assume or you kind of kind of looking forward see how like once he establishes that fastball and starts commanding it better that this the whiffs are going to go up the strikeouts are going to go up the um he's just going to be overall more effective yeah and jason as you mentioned the, the curveball uh, i know that that there were some tweets about it I, I think we jim i don't know about you but i would consider Howard's curveball to be his fourth best pitch after seeing him in the fall league last year, after after the fastball, slider, and changeup. But uh, he threw five in the outing against the Braves, and I he had what was it the movement, uh, the vertical movement? He had seventy two point four inches of drop to it, which, um, in terms of pitchers who've thrown any curveballs in two thousand twenty, that ranks second in terms of, of vertical movement, which is you know, a big looping curveball, and And that's crazy um, because that's not the, when you think of Spencer Howard, you're like, oh, the slider, oh, the the changeup, but considering that could be his fourth pitch and it's got that type of movement. um, I I think that's something to be excited about for sure.
1: All right. So Mike, you're, uh, you've talked about uh, some stat cast numbers on a couple of guys now Cronenworth and Howard, and um, you're working on a story now on, Rookies who have uh, impressed on the StatCast, leaderboards on the StatCast front. Uh, let's talk about a few more of these guys. I know there are a handful of pitchers that we want to talk about and another hitter as well. Um, I'll let you take your choice here. I know we want to talk a little bit about Jordan Romano, Josh Stallmount, and Devin Williams. Uh, why don't you take your choice there and, and dig into one of these guys?
3: Um, oh boy. Let's, uh, Jim, let's go with Stamont first because his stuff has always been ridiculous. I I guess you could argue he was kind of miscast as a starter um, early in his career. And, and, you know, he had his moments, um, but control and command was always an issue, especially the control. You know, I I don't have his walk right in front of me, but it's, it, it wasn't pretty, um, throughout his minor league career. And that included last season, even when he got up to the big leagues, uh, he, um, Worked 19 in the third innings, uh, 15 strikeouts, 10 walks, and yet still somehow had a 3.7 ERA um, and, and did so while averaging a shade under 96 mile, miles per hour with his fastball. This year, however, it seems like he's kind of figured it out. I don't, I don't know what has clicked. I haven't analyzed his um, delivery, release points, anything along those lines, but in terms of just the stuff and the results, his fastball is averaging ninety eight and a half. His fourteen fastball, and that's that's tied for the second best mark in baseball with uh, a couple of guys you may ha- have heard of, uh, Jacob Degrom and Dustin May. Um, and he's also thrown the hardest pitch of the two thousand twenty season in a hundred and one point five mile per hour fastball. Um, and uh, to go along with that, he's got elite spin rate curveball, um, and he's posted uh, better than a seventy percent whiff rate with that pitch with it this year. So the fact that he's Throwing these two pitches in the zone consistently now, or at least around the zone enough where he's enabling uh, guys to, to chase, you know, getting, guy, getting guys to bite, keeping guys guessing kind of makes me think that he's starting to unlock that potential because it, you've always seen it. This, like I said before, the stuff's always been ridiculous. And it was always the question of, you know, is he ever going to harness it? Is he ever going to figure it out? And, I, and I'm not going to say with any certainty that that's, that's happening in earnest now, but the signs are there that he's putting it together.
2: Yeah. I mean, he had, you know, probably the hardest fastball, you know, in his draft year when he was at Azusa Pacific. And, you know, I don't fault the Royals for trying to develop him as a starter. No, not at all. You you give a guy innings to see what you can make of him, And he would go through these stretches where he would have spurts of, you know, decent control and you get excited. Like, okay, maybe he's figured it out. Like he, was good down the stretch in 2016 when he got to double a and he showed flashes in triple a at times. And I think that kind of led them to like, okay, let's keep this going. You know, they kind of made him a full-time reliever in 2018. You know, the, the question, like you said, has always been strikes. He's always walked a ton of guys, even going back to Azusa Pacific. Um, you know, he's, you know, to be honest, mound presence has been an issue for him at times too. Mm-hmm. He went to the Cape league As a sophomore, as this live-armed guy, a chance to show what he could do, and he was overwhelmed. I remember seeing him in the fall league in, in 16, and there was a game he was starting then too, and there was a game where I can't remember who the defender was. Somebody It might have been Kyle Tucker, and I might be confusing that. Somebody didn't make a play on a ball that they should have made, and he, like, shoulders slumped, grooves the next pitch to Ian Happ. Ian Happ crushes it, and he just proceeded to get, like, you know, just crushed. In that start, and you know, I think for him, you know, he's on a roll right now. He's only walked three guys in eight innings. You know, the velocity's always been there. His last outing, he threw twenty four, thirty three pitches for strikes. Um, and if he can keep doing that, he's got to, you know, if 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 he can throw strikes, you have to look for his fastball because it's so hard. And then he can drop the curve in and make you chase that a little bit. And, you know, if he can keep this up, you know, he could, you know, he's, he's kind of, I think like their eighth inning guy right now. Um, you know, they'll continue to give him more and more responsibility, but it's uh, I mean, certainly a pleasant development for Royals team. I mean, he's 26 now. Um, and we'll see, am I <laughs> admittedly a little skeptical? I am because he's, he's been a tease in the past, but, but you can't deny the arm strength.
1: All right. Um, Mike, another guy, want to talk about and uh we're gonna shift gears, uh change things up and talk about a changeup uh specifically and talk a little bit about Devin Williams.
3: Yeah. So um Williams was De Brewer's second round pick in 2013 out of the St. Louis area, Jason. Um and he was developed as a starter. Like, you know, showed showed promise in that role, but uh Battled some shoulder injuries, uh, some control issues, and then eventually needed Tommy John surgery, which wiped out his 2017 and part of his 2018 season. And I think it was something like he ended up having like a 20-month layoff, 20 maybe even more than that between um, you know taking the mound competitively, and when he finally came back after you know another attempt to uh, develop him as a starter, a shorter attempt to develop him as a starter. The Brewers moved him to the bullpen. And his stuff has really taken off in that role. He got up to the big leagues last year. Um, he represented a, after he represented the Brewers in the futures game. Um, and uh, you know, it's an upper nineties fastball um, which is, it's, it's got a lot of life on it. He's got a slider, but like the pitch that really has separated him um, from, from the field in terms of relievers this year and makes him a really interesting part of the Brewers bullpen going forward is his changeup, up. Um, which, uh, I did some digging and he's got the second most uh, vertical movement on the pitch of of all major league pitches um, tied for the fourth, most horizontal movement. His 25% more vertical drop is third. Um, His horizontal break is 35% more than average. And that's third overall. Um, And using that pitch, he has posted a 60 nearly 65% whiff rate um, and induced eight of his 10 strikeouts this season. So, you know, by the results, the sheer results, and also like the metrics behind it, like that is an elite pitch. Um, it, it is incredibly nasty. And it's one that he throws to righties and lefties too. You know, he's, he's got a weapon uh, to carve up guys on both sides of the plate.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I, well, you are talking there, Mike, I was going back to look at the scouting report I wrote on him um, coming out of high school in 2013 and his changeup stood out better, more than his breaking ball, even back then. Uh, you know, we, we certainly didn't have stack cast breaking it down, but we, we did know that it had a lot of fade and sync. They did a nice job of keeping hitters off balance. And it's funny because when he made the futures game, I mean, it, he was probably one of the more improbable futures gamers just because he had missed so much time. And it's, it, it, it it's crazy. We're talking about a 2013 draft pick who still hasn't officially graduated to the big leagues yet, but he's been really effective for the Brewers. And and I think even though it's a different mode of attack for him than Stomont, you know, again, it comes down to him. It's command and control. You know, when Mm -hmm. he throws strikes and locates his pitches, he's very successful. I mean, not that this is a radical uh, thought for pitchers, but as good as, you know, as hard as he could throw and as nasty as that changeup is, you know there he also still runs into times where he doesn't locate his stuff as well and he gets hit, but when he's you know got when he can put his pitches where he wants, he's exceedingly tough to do anything against and
3: also he got a lot bigger and a lot stronger during that layoff um and while he you know is no longer a starter, he is a guy who who the brewers covet in, in the sense that he can you know work multiple innings if 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 needed he's he's got that um strength and stamina so uh, i think that's <clears throat> another reason why he's a, an underrated, um, bullpen piece for that, for that team moving forward, you know, especially with, you know, you've, you've seen how they value multiple inning relievers in recent years, Hader, uh, Corbin Burns. Um, I think they got like David, David Phelps doing that this year. Like th- that's a good role for him. And, and, um, you know, in that organization.
1: Hey, Jim, you basically answered the question that I was going to ask was whether, William's changeup was a known commodity. Um, and interesting to see that going all the way back, um, what, seven years now that, uh, that he had that type of changeup even back then. I was looking through uh, our Brewers' top 30 prospects list, and he's a guy who was their number three prospect uh, back in 2014, so out of the draft. And then – steadily dropped over the course of the next few years to number uh, seven in 2015 number nine in 2016 all the way down to number 18 in 2017 and then completely off the list until he reappeared uh, at number 13 on this year's list
2: and I want to say Jason I th- when he got hurt which was what the spring of 2017 mm-hmm. I think I went to Brewer's camp, and you know we have our report. Our spring reports change from year to year, but we have various categories. And whatever our you know guy on verge of a breakout or whatever we were calling it was, I remember talking to Tom Flanagan, their farm director, and it was Devin Williams. And I'd sent it in and wrote it up, and had sent the story in. And then a couple of days later, we I, we were sending him in in advance. A couple of days later, I got I got an email from the office while still in Arizona. Hey, we need another guy because Devin Williams needs Tommy John surgery. Um, But it seemed like he was. The Brewers felt like he was on the verge of of getting ready to make that leap in 2017, and they missed almost two years. But he's been, you know, you know, and again, I mean, this is a guy who who never threw a ton of strikes as a starter, and you know, maybe, you know, simplifying things, you could focus on two pitches more more so than trying to have three, is just really helped him. But he's he's been a different guy since they made him a reliever.
1: Uh, someone else who I think probably fits that bill in terms of becoming something else uh, in a relief role, uh, someone else we want to talk about in regard to some stat cast numbers, Mike, is Jordan Romano.
3: Yeah. Um, so Romano was developed by the Blue Jays as a starter. Actually, Jim, you can speak on him too, since you have some history since he was a, a rule five pick and appeared in your, uh, on one of your lists for a moment, I've on the
2: Giants. Was it the Giants? I think so.
3: I think so. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he's he's 27 now. Uh. He was a four pitch starter. Um. Who had like you know pretty good success up through the AA level in that role. I feel like I saw him throw two years ago. Um. And, and you know it wasn't overpowering stuff. You know the fastball would get up to 95. Um. The slider was always his best and go-to secondary pitch and then he would just kind of work in you know like a 40 45 curveball and changeup. but after he was returned to the blue jays um as as a, as a rule five pick they moved him to the bullpen and you know it put him on an accelerated path towards the big leagues and he reached the majors for the first time last year albeit while posting a uh 763 era in a little over 15 innings um, but he's been a different pitcher this year and you know at the root of that is that his, his average fastball velocity and slider just his overall velocity is up considerably um from the previous year you know b- both pitches up two to three miles per hour and not just that but he's seems like he's figured out how to attack guys with those two pitches um while while also you know scrapping the the lesser curveball and change up from his arsenal completely so he's really a two-pitch guy now who's attacking Hitters, you know, in a way he never really has before, and in addition to, um, you know, just the basic up, uptick in velocity, uh, I was really surprised to learn that he generates just about as much extension towards the plate with both pitches as, as any pitcher in baseball. Um, actually, the the third most for both fastball and slider. So, what you know, the ninety six point four average fastball is is getting on guys in a hurry, and I. Th- um, that paired with the slider is I think why you also see an uptick in his whiff and chase rates this year.
1: And the yeah, number, looking, I, don't,
3: I don't think he's given up a hit yet even, right?
1: No, he has. I was going to say, yeah. uh <laughs> bearing that out. He's, he's thrown seven innings so far, um, walked two batters in his first outing of the year. Uh, but also with a pair of strikeouts in a, in a scoreless inning and then didn't allow another base runner until his uh, last outing a few days ago, but seven innings, no hits, no runs, three walks and 10 strikeouts.
3: Yeah. He's, he's been dealing and it's, uh, it's passing the eye test too. Like I've checked in and watched a little bit of a, watch him throw a little bit and it's, the stuff is really hot. You know, it, it looks like he's comfortable in that late inning bullpen role. And I, you know, I could see him, um, you know, maybe getting some, some, closing nods depending on what's going on with with ken giles elbow in the shortened season but based upon stuff in the numbers he's he's got the look of of somebody who could potentially handle uh eighth inning or or closing duties
1: all right guys uh want to move on and wrap things up by talking to, about some 2021 draft prospects uh, but before we move on to that here's a word from our sponsor
5: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com, GoForward.com.
1: All right, guys, so looking ahead a little bit toward the 2021 draft uh, summer showcases going on recently, uh, East Coast Pro Showcase and Area Code Games and uh, first East Coast Pro Showcase, Jonathan Mayo talked to some scouts and put together a top performers list from that event uh, last week. Um, his list was of top performers was led by James Wood, uh, 6'6, 240-pound outfielder from IMG Academy. Uh, he's from Maryland, 10th school at IMG Academy in Florida. Uh, he was followed by a right-hander out of Calvary Christian Academy in Florida, Andrew Painter. Uh, Number three on the list was Chase Petty, a right-hander out of Mainland Regional High School in New Jersey. Uh, Number four on the list, Joe Mack, a catcher out of Williamsville East High School in New York. And the rest of the list, Harry Ford, catcher outfielder out of North Cobb in Georgia. Khalil Watson, uh, shortstop out of Wake Forest High School in North Carolina. Brady House, uh, two-way player listed here as a shortstop. Uh, out of Georgia, Michael Morales, East Pinsboro High School in Pennsylvania, Isaac Pacheco, Friendsworth High School in Texas, and Benny Montgomery out of Redland High School in Pennsylvania. Those were the top performers from the East Coast Pro Showcase. Several of those guys uh, also participating in area code games. And, uh, Jim, I think you're going to tell us a little bit about some of these top performers from, uh, from East Coast Pro.
2: Yeah, it's all. I'll, I'll pinch hit for Jonathan, and I'm. I'm actually working on an area code game story we'll have out later this week that just ended last night. Um, but yeah, James Wood was kind of the most exciting guy at East Coast Pro. Um, he ran a, a six five four sixty yard dash. He showed an advanced approach at the plate, plus raw power, solid arm strength, center field skills. He's really raised his profile this summer um you know, i mean obviously listen to all that he sounds like a potential first rounder next year um he did go to the area code games i haven't seen a bo- the box scores from from the last days of action but the first three days he didn't even have a hit so he i don't think he's going to make my area code games list um but he was a, a revelation at east coast pro um andrew painter jonathan cited as the best pitcher at east coast pro he he's Ben Herald is one of the better arms in this high school class for a while. And incidentally, he was not at the area code games, but East Coast pro. He was throwing the mid 90s with the fastball, mid 80s slider and changeup. up um, for our six foot seven guy does a really nice job of repeating his delivery. You're going to have, you know, the typical industry caveats about how high do you take a high school right hander? But he's, he's a definitely a, a potential first round guy for next year's draft. And then um, the next two guys on Jonathan's list are, are both guys who, who did perform well at East Coast Pro and at the Area Code Games. Um, Chase Petty, New Jersey high school pitcher. Um, Jonathan threw in a little bit of a Walker Bueller comp because he's got a slightly smaller frame. He was up to 98 with his fastball with a plus slider and, and, and a power changeup at, at East Coast Pro. He came out. He pitched the first game at the area Code Games. Was up to I think 99 and 100 with his first two pitches. Sat 96, 97. Had that 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 good mid 80s slider. Struck out six and three hitless innings. Was a little scattered at times with his his control, but he didn't walk anybody. You know, individual pitches here and there. But it, it's a big arm. It's real exciting to watch. And then the other guy who who did well at both events, number four on Johnson's. East Coast, Coast Pro list. I, East Coast Pro, saying that fast a lot of times is tough, guys. I'm telling you. Um, Joe Mack, catcher from New York, um, had a sub-1.8 pop time at, at East Coast Pro um, and, and showed some, some raw power and the ability to control the zone. And he looked good behind the plate and in the batter's box at the area code games as well. Uh, you know, 1.9 pop times, opposite field homer hard double, you know, he's one of the better pure hitters in the class, so I'd say I'm still working on that that area code list, but if you were combining the two events, I think the best guys, if you're you're looking at both events, were probably Chase Petty and Joe Mack. All right,
1: and looking forward to the future and the 2021 draft is a good way to wrap up this podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We'll be back at to next week,
4: talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB. Okay, picture this.